This is Kristen Hedgecock. And I'm Ash Matson. You're listening to Apta Sophia, which means useful wisdom in the pursuit of biblical womanhood. Welcome to Apta Sophia. My name is Ash Matson, and I'm here with my fellow host, Kristen Hedgecock. Hello. Hello. And we are here with a special guest, Rachel Lane. Um, I'm going to let Kristen introduce her and talk about what, what our topic is for yeah. this episode. Yeah. Um, so uh, my friend Rachel over here, how long have we known each other now? A couple years? A couple years, yeah. A couple, three years, something like that. And the topic is we, well, this is a little bit um, belated because we've had life happen, but the topic is um, we want to talk about abortion and specifically um, the Roe v. Wade overturn and how that impacts just everything and everybody and the pro-life, pro-choice and all the issues surrounding that. And um, so Rachel is kind of my friend expert in this because you work for an organization that um, helps women um, through kind of navigate these really tough issues. So can you tell us a little bit about your, your history here? Yeah, for sure. Um, I work for an organization called Human Coalition. We are a national pro-life organization and we serve um, women who are facing an unplanned pregnancy. We work with pregnancy centers all over the country, but we also own and operate our women's care clinics. And uh, we provide free medical services as well as counseling and then even um, a social service arm um, for any woman that is uh, facing an unplanned pregnancy and is um, looking for information on abortion or has made the decision that that's what she wants to do. Yeah. So we're going to dig into this topic a little bit deeper, but before we dig in deeper on this topic, we're going to do our Would You Rather. Most important thing we do in any episode. That is right. I don't think that's true about this, this one in particular. <laughs> this is a pretty weighty issue, but um, our Would You Rather yeah, question. Yeah, we just dealt with like the Word of God and all the other ones. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, Jesus juked me. <laughs> did. Yeah, um, but our Would You Rather question for this episode is would you rather only be able to drink water for the rest of your life or would you rather only be able to eat salad so Rachel you have to start because you're a guest I would go with salad um I can't stand water so second best would be a problem yeah yeah salad but I feel like you can have a lot of variations Mm -hmm. um so definitely salad yeah would it would it eliminate all liquids in food? Because if I couldn't have gravy, I'd jump off a cliff. <laughs> but couldn't you have gravy as a salad dressing? That's the thing. Like, is it because if you could only have water, mm-hmm. could you not have other liquidy foods? Well, you would die. <laughs> so, okay, so well, so you'd have to have okay, water. Okay, all of these are clearly not realistic. <laughs> We're talking about what would tickle your fancy over like. How would you sustain You can have salad, life? but it has to be dehydrated lettuce. Mmm. <laughs> <laughs> Kale chips. Is that what we're talking about? No moisture in any of your food. Yeah. Um, I think it would get a little gray when it came to, like, yeah. sauces. Yeah, if you couldn't have that. Because what about food with no sauces, too? Yeah. Yikes. But I would go with salad. That would be the workaround. You would you would eliminate food, all other types of food. Well, so the you would you rather what? would be water, only drink water. Or only have salad. But only have salad. So you would choose to only have salad. 
so that you could drink so, wait, a variety I could of drink beverages. Water. Okay. So you could drink water, but have eat a t- whatever you wanted, but you had to drink water. Or right. Yeah. I see. Yeah. Does I'm it change still, your answer? No. You were okay. I'm not gonna judge you. I'm just gonna let you explain yourself. <laughs> How many beverages do you do you drink on average? Like, what are your go-tos? Um, I drink bubbly water and coffee. That would be really hard for me to give up. You drink water with, like, a... a I drink water. A blueberry over it. Yes. <laughs> Just a breeze. A, yeah. a blueberry breeze a bre- blew over yes. your carbonated water yep. and made it kind of smell a little bit like blueberry. So you drink that and coffee. So I drink that. So I drink bubbly water, and then I drink water... Poured over beans. <laughs> and then you would also have salad. What a, what right. a, but what a I life. feel like that there's a lot of, like, to Rachel's point, I feel like there's a lot of, like, I could have potato salad. I could have fruit salad. I could have jello salad. A lot salad, of variations. I could have salad salad. I could have carrot salad. I could have broccoli salad. And coffee. <laughs> yeah. What are, what are your favorite things to drink? <clears throat> Very similar to Kristen. Okay. I don't like plain water, but I will take bubbly water. Um, I drink a lot of that. Coke Zero is a favorite. Yeah. And then coffee. Do either of you like milk? Are you milk haters? I'll drink it. I mean, I, I'll have it with cereal. Yeah. But do you drink, do you drink it plain or do you think it's weird to drink it plain? Because I feel like people usually fall into one or the other camp. No, I don't think it's weird. I used to. I just got out of the habit of having a tall glass of milk. So if I have a rich dessert, I want yeah, a glass like of milk. like a brownie. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Or okay. a chocolate chip cookie. All right. Yes. Yeah. Have to have a glass of milk with it. I've met many people who think it's bizarre to drink milk. Are really? Vegan? No, like, just normal people. And I'm like, really? you grew up like that. Like, yeah. Let me meet your parents. <laughs> I just live for milk, and now I'm like, what would I do? Because yeah. I would have to. When I eat was food with no milk. Yeah, I'm, when I was having all the babies, yeah. I would crave milk so bad. Just yeah. glasses and glasses and glasses. I would probably go through an entire gallon in like two days, just by myself. Right. And I'm sure that was probably just a vitamin or mineral deficiency. Yeah. <laughs> like I needed all the calcium and vitamin D. Yeah. Um, but now that I haven't had a baby in six years, um, makes me sad to say, but, <clears throat> but I don't, I, my body doesn't crave it. Like I mm-hmm. will have it on cereal, but I don't eat cereal that often anymore because, you know, I'm You're pushing 40. And he eats cereal Sorry, now. cereal eaters. Yeah, I was like, you eat cereal now, and it's like, oh, there's 15 pounds in a bowl. So. Oh. Yeah, so yeah. now I'm all about the protein, so I eat eggs instead. Well. Yeah. Yeah. I would clearly choose food and drink water. That would be a sad thing. Both of these would take you away from the Lord's table. True. In one way. Or another. So this is a really. This is my Jesus salad. It's <laughs> bread tossed with wine. You're not. That's unorthodox. So we don't mix the elements, Kristen. Um, <laughs> yeah, I would definitely keep the food around. So I like salad. I don't like salad that much, and I yeah. really don't like water. I'm like you. Mm. I have to force myself to drink water, and it has to be room temperature. 
And so I set a glass out on the counter, and then if somebody drinks it, the wrath of mom. It's usually Ryan. Ryan will come. He'll be like, just give me. And I'm like, you don't understand. I had to prepare that. Yeah. Because <laughs> it has to be the right temperature for me to, like, drink it all in one go. Because I yeah. like it so little that I have to just get it over with, like, medicine or something. No, I like coffee too much. <clears throat> like, any, any diet that I've ever been on, I'm like, do I get to drink coffee? That's a no. That's, that is my... It could give me cancer. It probably will give me cancer. And I'm like, but... Everything will. I like it. So... Yeah. I'm going to keep it. All right. Yeah. Well, you know what's funny is we didn't even come up with a would you rather for next episode. <laughs> so look at us doing our job. Um, do you have a favorite would you rather? You do not have to. Man. We can leave it to Google, I'm but if you have me. one, you can live on in our next episode. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, this is, would you rather vacation in a city and do all the things, or would you rather vacation and relax, peace Ooh. and quiet, Oh yeah. Really down, downtime, not go, 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 go. That is that like is a such a wholesome, not anxiety. Nope, inducing. not at all. It's good. <laughs> we were like, robot apocalypse or zombie apocalypse. <laughs> Would you rather jump out of a plane or from the top of a building? <laughs> Granted, I do have some boy influence on this the Would true. You Rathers yeah. uh, as of late, so... Yeah, I feel like my microphone is falling asleep. Oh, it is. Did Knox tell you that he got to use his Would You Rather in class? No. He huh. was, yeah. Um, for some reason, they were like, we did that one when I gave him the, so he got to use his, the one about nice. jumping out of a plane. Or, yeah. Yeah. Yep. All right. <clears throat> Well, getting into our episode, Kristen, I'm going to let you lead the convo. Yeah, you, sure. You wrote this lovely outline. I sure did. Like, back in June, I think, <laughs> when we were going to meet, and then we just had, you know, chaos after chaos after chaos. So, Can I ask you a question? Yeah, sure. I'm like, are you leaving? <laughs> sorry. Are you- just kidding. <laughs> sorry. I love you. Just I'm so sorry. Kidding. So how did you get in? How did you get into this? Like, what... Yeah. Um, when did the Lord put it on your heart to start? Yeah, because what's your degree in? Yeah, yeah. So I have a, a master's degree in biblical counseling. Okay, and um, would have always said I was pro life, but did not really understand uh, the impact that an abortion has on uh, a woman. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you know we know that it takes the life of a of a child, um, but where it all kind of started for me, I was needing to get counseling hours and for my degree. And so I started volunteering at the local crisis pregnancy center. And the very first person that I counseled was a post-abortive woman. And um, I sat across from her and we did about 10 sessions and I literally saw her go from death to life. And she was a believer, um, but she wasn't living out the gospel for herself in her own life. And when I realized that she had kept this secret from everyone that she, from family, from friends, for 30 years, she had suffered in silence. And it was then that 
I felt like um, I just remember the Lord really pricking my heart about this issue and the destruction that abortion causes. And I said, if I can be on the front end of talking to a woman um, in a way that helps her see that that's not the only option she has to make Mm -hmm. and it prevents her from going through that, then I wanna do that. And so um, I ended up getting a job there and then um, it turned into a full-time position and I was able to use uh, my counseling degree to really inform how we counsel clients Mm -hmm. and how we serve them. And so, um, yeah, it's kind of how it started. Yeah. Um, I will let, sorry. No, do you have more questions? questions? Yes. Go ahead. No, 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 it's good. No, no, no. You lead it. And then then I'm, (laughs) no, 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 do. Oh, this is, because it's so, yeah. yeah, um, Just the idea of counseling women who are abortion-minded or are, post-abortion. So I I became a believer and within, and I started doing street evangelism right away. Um, and I worked with the homeless for, I think, like two, three years. And then I watched the documentary, Babies Are Murdered Here. Have you heard of that? I haven't. Um, so it's a film by Marcus Pittman. And um, I think they're following a man named John Barrows. Do you know who he is? Um, so he, he goes to the mills faithfully, like, I'm like every day or something crazy like that. And so um, they would, they were following all these people around who are out there calling out to the women who are mm-hmm. at the abortuary, like trying to get them to, to not go in and right. that sort of thing and talking about it theologically and all of that. And I was just super convicted um, that, you know, I, I believe this is wrong, but I'm not doing anything about it. And so I started doing um, like abolition work mostly on the street, but I also went to the abortion mill. But mostly, like, for about five years, I would, like, go out and talk to people just on the street in Seattle trying to get them before mm-hmm. they even got there right. to talk about it. So I'm like, but I haven't, apart from, like, really venomous women on the street <laughs> getting angry because they're confronted with their sin and they're, you know, um, hurt, um, I haven't been able to sit down with someone or share the gospel with someone like in a, um, in a fruitful way who is post-abortive. Um, so I would just love to hear your experience. Like at some point in this episode, if we could talk about like how we, if we, cause I know we all have people in our lives that mm-hmm. might be considering abortion or have had one. <clears throat> and as Christians, we know how, what we know what scripture says about it. And we know the, you know, um, we know the cookie cutter phrases, but mm-hmm. how do you approach these people? What's the best way to minister to them and to call them to repentance while also being compassionate? And yeah, yeah. that's a good question. Yeah. Um, and, you know, what I think the stat right now is one in six women inside the church have had an abortion. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think sometimes we tend to think that it's an issue that's outside right. mm-hmm. of believers. And um, I know that having sat across from hundreds of women contemplating this decision, realizing that um, that it's not outside of us, that any one of us um, has the propensity, if you will. Um, we're not above it, that decision, or even thinking about it if we were in the right circumstance. Mm-hmm. Um, 
right not being right or wrong, but in a certain particular circumstance that right. um, it's not outside of the realm of possibility. So it's definitely uh, an issue that's within the church. And, and really, I think there's so much shame that's wrapped up in it and tied into it that it prevents people from opening up and saying, yeah, I did make this choice. Um, and so I think being open and allowing people to share their story and their background and um, <clears throat> making sure that there's no judgment there, right? That, um, that it is wrong and it is um, sin and an offense to God, um, but it's not unforgivable. And I think that's the piece that a lot of women struggle with. Um, it's not something that they can undo. And so it's really an opportunity for the gospel to be at work uh, in someone's life that has gone through a procedure. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's really interesting because we go, we have women that choose to keep their child and then we, we do see women that end up going through with a procedure and it's really hard on our staff and it's oftentimes what I have found, it's the, the very thing that brings her to the Lord later on in life because she, she can't undo it. She can't change it. Mm-hmm. Um, you can stop drinking excessively. You can stop doing all these other right. actions, right. but this is not the one thing, but it is one thing that she can't undo. Right. And so right. um, the only hope there is um, forgiveness. Grace from the Lord. Yep, yeah. from the Lord. Yep. Right. How open can you be when you're counseling somebody um, like, what are the rules in when you have, let's say I come in to mm-hmm. one of your guys' clinics, um, how open can you be with sharing the gospel with a mom or do you have to stay? I mean, I, Ash and I will say all the time, there's no such thing as neutral, but to stay kind of in a neutral space with that, with that woman. Yeah, um, that's a good question. Yeah. I think it, de- I mean, it depends on what your goal is. You, you can sure. share for sure. Um, I think the question would sh- should be, when's the right time? Mm-hmm. Um, because you want what you're sharing to fall on ears that are open and receptive. Sure. And if it's not the right time for her, what you're going to do is offend her and kind of close that door. Mm-hmm. And so what we would say is it's very client-directed. Now, there are key questions that we ask to um, try to bring faith into the conversation. Mm-hmm. But what's been really interesting is what has happened on the flip side is that she'll come back to us. Um, our services are beyond the birth of the child. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so she'll come back to us and often ask us the question, why, why did you care about me the way that you did? Why did you serve me the way that you did? And it's the perfect opportunity to, to speak into why. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so sometimes those conversations do happen on the front end, but a lot of times it's after the fact. You guys um, were different than the abortion clinic that I went to. Mm-hmm. Um, why is that? I don't understand why you would provide a free gift to me or mm-hmm. serve me in this manner. And so um, a, lot to- a lot of times it's our actions that leads to those deeper conversations. Yeah. Um, but yeah. We-, we can have them up front yeah. for sure. Yeah. What other roles does your organization um, play into a woman who's in crisis? Yeah, so we focus on what we would call the abortion-determined woman. So uh, someone who's online searching uh, to attempt 
either to get a procedure or to find out more information. And so we will um, direct her to one of our brick and mortars and she'll go in for um, in-person services to pregnancy test, ultrasound, counseling. That's a part of that. Mm-hmm. And then um, 76% of the women we see say that they would rather parent than have an abortion, but they feel like that's their only option. And oftentimes that's because there's a circumstance in their life that is making them feel like they can't parent. And so we hire licensed social workers to come in and create a care plan for her that really is aimed at bringing her towards more stability. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's very much client-directed as to what she sees, um, what areas she feels like she needs assistance or support in. Mm Um, so a medical arm as well as a social services arm. Yeah, because like you said, that there's there's um, the issue of abortion and people why people have abortions mm-hmm. are really multifaceted, and um, so it's good that they provide and look at the situation holistically. Um, what are some of your um, What are some of your hardest so you have people that are like, oh, I just can't afford mm. to have, yeah. you know, another baby or a baby or whatever. But what are your hardest clientele? Like what are, like you say, uh, an abortion determiner, whatever term you used, mm-hmm. what, what is that like where they just want to have one no matter what? And what are the reasons behind it, do you think? Yeah, that's a good, a good question. Um, you know, I think it's often... You have two different clients a lot of times. Mm-hmm. It's the client that's in crisis. So she's she is overwhelmed, but she's emotional. Mm-hmm. Um, there's other times where you have a client that's not emotional. And I think mm-hmm. those are the hardest ones yeah. um, where they're really trying to stuff down their emotions mm-hmm. um, and just get through with the decision or the procedure. Um, I would say other challenging ones are fetal anomalies. Mm, um, those yeah. are really hard. Yeah. Um, so they come to you when they know of a fetal anomaly mm-hmm. to Sometimes. have an abortion? Yeah. Or to well, seek the, yes. counsel? Yep. Okay. For sure. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, we often would, would tell them to get a second opinion. Like we always yeah. encourage that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then talking through the difference between playing God, because that's, that's in essence what you're doing right. in going through with a procedure is mm-hmm. that you are choosing uh, for another person to live. And so um, just the differences between taking that life and, mm-hmm. and going through pregnancy and yeah. allowing, um, you know, if, if it's a situation where baby's not going to make it beyond delivery, um, what that process looks like, getting sure. the opportunity to say goodbye and yeah. um, to parent that child for however long the Lord chooses to allow that to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, there's very different outcomes with that. And yeah. just, um, yeah, mm-hmm. so. Yeah. Um, Can I ask a quick question? Yes. Because it's kind Absolutely. of related. So yeah. um, I know we, we hear a lot that the women who have abortions are uninformed. They don't really know mm. what they're doing. They're buying into the, it's a clump of cells. It's not, you know, they don't know that it's a human being. They don't know that it's a person. 
you know, that sort of thing. Is that your experience in talking to them? Do you, I'm sure that a lot of them would say on the surface or kind of use that because you, you're talking yourself into something, Correct. right? But also that guilt that you're talking about that follows them, that kind of turns them back in a lot of cases to Christ because they can't shake it. There's something there. So what is your perspective on that? Do you think that they go into it ignorantly or do you think that they really know that that is their baby it's a really it's a complicated question and it's a complicated answer i i have met women um that did not realize what the procedure actually was doing um i have witnessed uh, clients getting an ultrasound at say 12 weeks and they realize that the procedure that they had two years ago at 15 weeks, uh, what that meant, oh. um, because they had no idea. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I do think there are some that um, they don't realize that there is a life inside of them that uh, the, the abortion procedure is more than just taking a set of pills like Advil, um, because that's what the other side Absolutely, you know, they are not being upfront. No, not at all. Yeah, Um, and so for some women, I would say they're they are deceived. Um, They're not Mm -hmm. aware. There are others that that are and do understand, and um, we do talk to them about like what does your head say, what does your heart say. We try to use those those kinds of terms to to be able to talk through their value system and Mm -hmm. um, you know right and wrong and those those kinds of concepts. Hmm. You had mentioned bringing up like playing God and and just how you really are kind of taking a life in in your hands and and wielding that. Um, certain states allow that, mm-hmm. and certain states don't. And you're from Texas, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so Texas is famous always for just kind of doing its own thing. But um, so. How does your organization, or does your organization, influence or try to petition um, laws that are made to impact abortion and issues like social issues like this? Yeah, um, we are uniquely positioned. We are a C three, so. Um, so what does that mean? Yeah. Yeah. So it's a. It's a. We're a nonprofit. Mm-hmm. We provide direct services to client. That's the C3 arm, if you will. Okay. And then we have a C4 arm, which is the policy and advocacy arm. And so a lot of what we do in the C3, mm-hmm. that service piece, um, informs the policy. Because what we have found is that there's a lot of policies out there that don't make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what, what we would try to do is to put legislation in place that actually makes sense based on what we're seeing mm-hmm. um, in the issue, if you will. So mm-hmm. um, we have been a part of some um, legislation that has passed and and still writing, hoping to write some that mm-hmm. would be um, beneficial to women sure. um, in every state. Mm-hmm. What types of laws have you petitioned to have? Yeah. Um, we were a part of the Heartbeat Act in Texas. Um, we were not the forerunner of it, if you will, but we did play a role in, um, in working to, to get that particular legislation passed. Okay. 
Yeah, and some of those um, heartbeat bills on the other side, the left side of the issue, um, would say that they are, those kinds of bills are very uncaring towards the mom and don't allow um, certain allowances for abortion. How, how do you, how should we approach people with those kinds of <clears throat> concerns? And when speaking about laws that are passed like that? Most laws do have some sort of an, an allowance, um, hmm. whether that um, is due to someone being raped or raped or incest or hmm. danger to the mom's life. Um, most of them have some sort of clause, if you will, that um, or allowance, um, depending on the circumstance. Yeah. Um, I haven't. I'm not saying it's not out there, but I haven't seen one necessarily that I can think of that comes across and just is like completely. Yeah. Um, no, no option, if you will. Right. Yeah. None of the even the because I looked at the heartbeat bill for Texas and um, there's one for Georgia and some of the, like the more Southern states and they all, from what I can read and from what I can tell just reading the bill in particular mm -hmm. is they all make allowances for um, in cases of rape and incest and medical um, anomalies, even mm -hmm. you know, these mm -hmm. medical, they would term them medical abortions or some, you know, incompatible with life, right. those types of yep. situations. Um, even the most conservative bills um, allow for that. But is that a read. good thing? Yeah, which is, it gets me to my <laughs> next like, question. <laughs> as, far as, as far as responding, right. if that's our yeah. response, is that a... Right. Yeah. Yeah, so, um, yeah, which leads me to my next question. Um, about you kind of have, um, so you have the left side, which is like, you know, very pro-choice, pro-everything over here, um, except like pro-being a mom. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and yep. then you have, on the other side, you have abolitionists, which is it under no circumstances is it ever okay, even if the, even if the baby is incompatible with life. And then you kind of have like what we would call the incrementalists or incrementalism, right? That's like, well, we can change laws incremental, incrementally. I'm saying that wrong, but you know no, what I mean. Not, I I'm not, good. did I say it right? Yeah, yeah. Um, incrementally. And like that is like a, a better way or a way, or we can at least make more progress that way than if we were just to outright say no abortion ever. Do you have an opinion on what is a better approach or? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't, I would never look at, at either of those options and necessarily say one's better than the other. Um, if you're, if, if it's accomplishing the goal, which is less abortions, then, then mm -hmm. we would consider that a win. Obviously, you know, because of what we believe, no abortions would be perfect. Um, but if, you know, a state is not, if you know that's not going to happen in that state, right. even something um, mm -hmm. where it's protecting children, the most vulnerable population um, is a win. Mm -hmm. um, because you're, there, there are going to be states that you're not able to even do something 
incrementally. Right. Um, um, so we, I mean, we would definitely say any action or step that protects the life of a child mm-hmm. um, is something that we would be behind. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. I think there needs to be, I don't know. So I'm, I'm an abolitionist and a, I, because of my understanding of scripture, um, I have a hard time like signing on to a bill that would say no abortions after this point because I feel like logically, even though that's not what the intention is, it does leave room for, but it can happen before that or, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, And so as far as being consistent with um, voting and reasoning in line with God's law, that's hard. For sure. Um, For sure. But I also see abolitionists being graceless towards those who are trying to save children through incremental laws and are clearly not going into it saying it's okay to kill a child, you know, before or after there's before, before there's a detectable heartbeat. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Again, mom brain. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know that's not what's happening. And I, w- I wish we could, even though, and I feel like there's people who are going to get angry with me for saying this. I wish we could have more grace towards one another in spite of our differences. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because we all want the same thing. Yeah. For sure. We I really think do. It, yeah. I think it is kind of like a, it's, it's almost like, so for me, like presuppositionally, scripture says not to answer a fool according to his folly. So I see these laws, the incremental laws, even though I know the motive is good and lives are being saved. So I'm not saying this at all to say anything negative about what you're doing, but you are, you are kind of saying, well, I'm going to play by your game and kind of forfeit biblical language in order to make progress. So it's kind of like a pragmatic type type thing. Um, and I know it seems like impossible that abortion would be abolished if we just came to our lawmakers and said, God is your God. He's king over all the kings and no children should be murdered by the hand of the civil government or under the watch of the civil government, period. And you need to stop this. 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 Just beat down their door, right? Nothing could happen. And I'm, that's the other thing. I'm like, I'm sympathetic to that. I understand that too. Like, but I'm also hoping that enough people will come to faith <laughs> as a like post-millennial type thing. Like enough people will come to faith. Enough lawmakers will, I hopefully one day, and I'm sure this is all of our hope, will realize that God's law is the law that they should be appealing to in all of their dealings because that's where we find justice. Mm-hmm. And one day it won't be crazy. Right mm-hmm. now it seems absolutely insane and impossible, but I also never would have thought Roe versus Wade would be overturned. Yeah. yeah. Never. No, never. There's a never. lot of people that would say that, you yeah. know. It's um, crazy. Yeah. 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 For sure. Being in this movement for as long as I have um, would have... N- Never thought that I would see the day where it was overturned. In 26 states, you know, when that happened, 
move to restrict yeah. abortion. Right. Which is 26 crazy. states. Like, that's what that big overarching, um, yeah, piece of legislation, you know, like how that held back mm-hmm. so much um, of people's, it really bound pe- people's consciences. Consciences, just, I can't And it's so, like, telling how all the liberals started shrieking that the states would have their rights back. Yeah. Because that's all it was. Like, the the decision goes back to the states, back Mm -hmm. to the citizens of that particular state. And they're they're saying, you know, we're we're out here reeling against totalitarianism and against, Mm -hmm. like, this dictatorship. But they're like, but the federal government isn't going to push for our cause anymore. And they're just, like, losing their ever-loving minds over it. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's crazy. Their cards were shown for sure on yeah. that in like what they're really pursuing. They want that dictatorship. They just mm-hmm. want it to be in their favor. Yes. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Did the overturning of Roe v. Wade, did that make your job easier? Mm-hmm. Like how did it impact your organization? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, well, I think there's a lot of misconceptions out there as to what it actually did. Yes, it put the decision-making back into the the hands of the states. Um, You know, and I think, you know, the other side was saying there's going to be no more um, abortions, which um, is not true in that it doesn't change the appetite for it. So there's still women that are, Right. Find themselves in those situations and are searching right. uh, or trying to get one. Right. There's still pregnancy yep. crises happening yep. regardless of what the laws of the land are doing. For sure. Yeah. What's interesting though, and we had a taste of it in Texas when the Heartbeat Act took effect, we geared up and anticipated that our phone lines would be ringing off the hook with women panicked and in crisis and freaking out, not knowing what to do, and this mad rush. Um, and that's actually not what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, we found that women weren't panicking. Um, they knew the law. They, they knew what it meant for them. And a lot of them were almost relieved mm-hmm. that they didn't have to make that decision. Mm-hmm. Um, that's so interesting. They were kind of resigned to the fact. Yeah. Like, okay, so I'm an parent. What's, what do I need to do next? <sighs> What does yeah. that say about yeah. the way the civil government should be running? And right. Like what, yeah. Yes. Like what? It, like a relief to these women who no longer have or no longer believe they have sin as an option in mm-hmm. that regard. And yeah. And then they say, okay, I guess I'm going to. I yeah. And and there were some that would sure. that were a lot, m- much more anxious, right? right? And in panic, but not what we anticipated at all. And I think the what's interesting is the other side doesn't give women credit that they can have a career, mm-hmm. have a child, mm-hmm. do both, get her, whatever her yeah, dream is. School. Yes, all of those things. Have um, a sixth kid. And it's interesting that you say, I just want to speak to this, because um, if you've been listening for, well, the last couple of years, you know, I'm a labor and delivery nurse, and... Most of the time people think about like the happy things of labor and delivery in my job, which most of the time that is true. Um, but we also, I'm a public, I work at a public hospital. And although I, our hospital does do abortions, our unit does not, unless they're medical. 
and then um, and then moms who choose to deliver their babies um, for compatibility of life issues will deliver on our floor. We have a whole um, demise program set up and we take really good care of our moms. But I cannot tell you how many moms, like not regret, that's not the right word, but just don't feel it is their mm. job to choose the day their baby dies. And I, and I tell them, I'm like, you know what? It's the most unnatural thing in position that parents have to be in is because it's not normal or natural to choose when your child dies. That decision is in somebody else's hands. Yeah, for sure. And I think yeah. that was kind of what I was trying to articulate earlier in yeah. terms of making that decision yourself or allowing, mm -hmm. um, you know, for lack of a better phrase, mother nature. Sure. Even though that's not... Right, that's um, not who we're referring right. to. But, I, but yeah. allowing... Yeah. what's going to happen, take its natural course and you to go through that grieving process mm -hmm. and be able to rest in knowing that you did everything that you should have, could have done mm -hmm. as a as a parent, right. mom, dad, yes. you know, both of them um, versus making a decision and then wondering, yeah. was it the best decision? Could right. I, should I have done something different? What if the doctors were wrong? What if- Because right. that's the thing is- so I've had it on numerous occasions where if you are a lady who has been told that your baby has some kind of condition that is incompatible with life or that is going to live a miserable life, um, I hope you get this thing out of it. And it is this, when I help my mamas deliver their babies and they physically see that there is nothing wrong with them, that is the most soul-crushing moment. And there is never, there is a particular cry that a mother cries when she loses part of her soul. And I'm saying that in a figurative speak, um, you know, way, of course. But when you can't help but think my baby looks normal and did I make the right decision? But, oh my Lord, it's too late. Yeah. And your baby is dying on your chest or dying in the other room. And we, there have been times where it has happened enough in my career, and I've been a labor and delivery nurse for almost 18 years. It has happened enough times where I would never make the decision ever, ever to terminate, to kill my baby in utero because a doctor told me there was something wrong. Because I have witnessed on both ends of the spectrum where parents have um, just said, I don't care what you have to say. I'm going to carry this baby until the Lord takes it. And they have, and the baby has been born perfect. And there was ultrasound after x-ray after not x-ray, but MRI scan after, you know, whatever. All the tests. All the tests. All the, I mean, and we live in Seattle where we have medical center, centers at our fingertips. We have so many we don't know what to do with. Um, and where there are reports saying, and I'm thinking about this one that I helped in particular years ago, where every, they went to three different perinatologists. They all said your baby has no... Um, you know, brainstem, 
There's nothing there. It will be a vegetable. It won't even live. And it did. It was completely fine. It was completely normal. It had an, in three different brain scans from three different hospitals. It has happened enough in my career where I would, ne I would never counsel anybody to terminate or end a pregnancy because it's happened enough times. And I'm not talking about once. I'm talking cool. uh, like I could, yeah. I mean, I, we just recently yeah. um, saw a client who was told um, that there were some abnormalities with hands and feet. Yeah. And she was right. It was recommended to her that she go through with an abortion. And, you know, she debated back and forth, ended up choosing to parent. And when baby was born, we're talking the deformity was webbed fingers. Yeah. That can be easily taken care of yeah. with plastic surgery. Like yeah. that's not a, right. a reason. No. Or, yeah. Yeah. It's troubling. It is so troubling in that the the doctors can be so flippant about recommending what they recommend. But it really is like they're disposable. These children are disposable. And I cannot tell you how many women, how many dads have cried on my shoulder when they see what's supposed to be a deformed, mm. yep. non-human, basically, come out perfect and yeah. they cannot detect a, at least a physical deformity, maybe something internally, but they were told your baby is going to have a cleft lip, a cleft palate. It's not going to have this. Its brain's going to be, you know, it's going to have a small head, you know, all these other things. And it just comes out. They're like, did we just kill our baby? Mm. So, so these women's lives are not in danger. Correct. And they're choosing to induce labor mm -hmm. so that their baby dies. Mm -hmm. Because typically you don't find out about an abnormality until around the week 20, 20 yeah. when they do an anatomy scan. Right. It's one reason why, sorry to interrupt. No, it's okay. It's one reason why we follow our clients, it's not the only reason, mm -hmm. but we follow our clients all the way through the process and yeah. are specific about around the 20-week mark checking in with her because so many times they'll get an adverse diagnosis mm -hmm. and they're right back to, I need an abortion. And yeah. so- that's yeah. I just so have they have they required you to be a part of making that happen? No, the babies are already dead when they come to the hospital. They do it in the clinics. Oh, okay. Yes. So you're not. This isn't happening where no. you work. Oh no. Good so the babies Lord. are I thought, already. I thought you were having no, to do this, and I was like, no, 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 no. I said that's an yeah. <laughs> Did you not know that? No, no, no. So the they do. And there are people that probably would not even do what I do. They would have a moral conflict with it, um, which is I, I look at what I do as post-abortive care. That's, that's, that You're would be my You're taking care role. of the mother physically when they come in from the, the, clinic. the clinic. It's a multiple-day procedure. Okay. It's a multiple-day thing. So they go to a, a clinic. Usually they're OB or a perinatologist. Okay. And they have a laminaria placed typically that uh, kills the baby. That's all done at home. And then they come into the hospital and deliver the rest of the baby. Okay. But the baby is passed. Okay. 
Yeah, no. My, uh-uh. my heart's beating so hard. I'm like, You're just like, Kristen, what is happening? What are you Kristen, doing? Are you? You, like, yeah. I'm thinking like you induce labor like Pitocin or like something like that. So like the baby dies of exposure or something. No, and no, I'm no, like, no. no, I mean, I have been one time I had to go in and, and assist that people were Christians. And this was the one I was thinking about. The people were Christians and they and they wanted this happened years ago early on in my career. Yeah. Um, and they wanted to speak to somebody who was Christian. So the church nurse found me and she's like, these people are having a really rough time. They just delivered their baby. It was, they wanted it to be born alive because they wanted that time with it. And it was like 20, I don't know, 22, 23 weeks. And they didn't see the physical anomalies that all the perinatologists said that were going to happen. And um, so I prayed over them. I hugged the mom. I let the dad cry because whatever the physical anomaly, and they were severe. They were supposed to be very severe physical anomalies. Um, They did an autopsy and nothing. This baby was not supposed to even be born alive, was not supposed to survive labor, um, was not supposed to even breathe because it didn't have the organs to breathe was not didn't wasn't supposed to have kidneys and all that kind of stuff I kept in touch with them throughout and the baby was born absolutely perfect there was none of those things wrong none zero especially for someone who's not like that is an abortion that is an abortion that is an abortion I'm not trying to be like cruel but no that is and Yeah. yeah but but the people that go into that mm-hmm. are not abortion minded. No, they're so for you it's to go, diff- for you to think yeah. you're, because I'm sure a lot of them are like, I'm sparing my baby suffering. This right. is what you know, and then right. to go through that, yeah, and then have it on your conscience that you, right. yeah, it's How? a lot. So I just held these parents <laughs> crushing. I just held these parents. They had no idea. They believed the experts. They didn't have any reason not to. And yes, I I've just heard, I yeah. yeah, and I just made that decision. I remember coming home and talking to Scott about it, and I'm like, I don't care if they tell me my baby has no head, and I don't think I had children at the time. I may have had Caius. I don't remember. Right. Um, that's how long ago it was. But I just remember making that decision that very day that the doctors are not God, mm-hmm. and even if every test says that my child has no head or no whatever, um, God can do miracles, and I need to save. I need to make room. I need to make room for a miracle. Yeah. Mm. And so I've seen it that that scenario happen enough times in my nursing career that I will yeah. never ever I mean aside from of course like my my faith dictating right, that right. even if I didn't have it I just there it, that put enough uh, lack of confidence in medicine and actually more confidence in the Lord that he, because I believe those doctors actually saw what they saw. I mean, it's really hard when you look at all of the, um, the scans and to have three different doctors do three different scans and, and come up with all the, the same thing and then to have babies being born perfectly. What else is it? Three different yeah. people yeah. making the same mistake. It's pretty unlikely. Yeah. I think it's a miracle. That happened to Jeff Durbin. They, oh, really? 
they were adopting a baby. You know the story. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I am. I'm not going to try to give too much detail because I don't know it as deeply as I as obviously they would. Mm-hmm. I encourage you to go listen to their story, but mm-hmm. they had been updating everyone. They were adopting a baby from a mother who was using drugs and didn't want to keep the baby, but didn't want to have an abortion. I think they might have met her at the mill because they do a lot of ministry yeah. at the abortion mill. And um, all the doctors said that he had like severe spina bifida mm-hmm. and they were going to need to do immediate emergency surgery mm-hmm. as soon as he was delivered. And they were like preparing their home medically for all these things. They were in like constant meetings with doctors and they'd mm-hmm. done a million different scans, all like seen it from every angle, like clear mm-hmm. as day on the scans. And he was born perfect. Yeah. Perfect. And yeah, I remember him like updating everybody on a live and I'm just yeah. like bawling. Yeah. <laughs> so crazy. Yeah. Cause we, it, that is a situation where like the Lord. Yeah. I believe what is that? But a miracle is it's that it is a miracle. Yes. It, that's just what it is. And I think, yeah, especially if you're a believer and you're in a crisis situation situation and pregnant, like make room for that miracle to happen. Yeah, and trust the Lord and to see you Lord, through yeah. whatever no difficulty what, and hardship, yeah. and trust Him to take a person's life in His time. Mm-hmm. I mean, we I think we have this when we were talking about, um, you know, women. You can still achieve your dreams and that sort of thing. I think that. Like, children do change things. Sure. You for the better. Not, yeah, mm-hmm. for the better. I can't tell you yeah. how many women, like, it actually spurs them on to accomplish their goals. Right. Yeah. Because they want to be that parent that's able to provide for their child right. and um, care for them well. And 100%. so it is oftentimes the very thing that propels her um, to accomplish great things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but your dreams can change. Like before I had kids, I wanted to be a career woman. I was, you know, I wanted my husband to stay home and take care of the house. (laughs) I wanted to make enough money for that to happen. I didn't want to have any children, you know, and then I had my first and I have five. Yeah. (laughs) And I love, like, I love being a mom. Never would have thought in a million years, the person that I was then that I would be a stay at home mom and would love it. And that's not to say that someone can't, Mm -hmm do other things outside of the home or accomplish those things. But it's, it is like a, we have this like cultural idea that like the, the whole purpose of your life is to achieve your dreams, like your personal fulfillment. Mm -hmm. And Christ says, die to yourself. Mm -hmm. And there's life in that. Like there's life in laying your, there's life in laying your life down for your children. Yeah. And nobody gets that until they're there and they're holding that baby. Like you said, and it like, yeah, seeing where my husband and I are now, like compared to like the tiny little like '80s apartment we were living in before we had kids, like how much we've like hustled mm-hmm. and like tried mm-hmm. to make a good life for our kids, it changes everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so Rachel, um, you know, talking about moms, talking talking about moms is one of the um, arguments that pro-choice people say is you only care about the baby. We've talked extensively about um, just different pregnancy outcomes and different birth outcomes and that type of thing, but you don't care about the mom. Pregnancy crisis centers do not care about moms. What would you say to them? It's not true. 
Um, Liars. Yes, very much <laughs> care for moms, for women. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that shows, at least with our organization, you know, I, I talked a little bit about our so, social services arm um, where social workers will work with her to create a care plan that moves her t- towards stability. That service is free, but it's also offered regardless of what her decision is. Yeah. Um, and so she can say, she can go through the whole program and still end up getting an abortion, and yet those services are the same as if she decided to parent. And a lot of that is because we value her mm-hmm. um, just as much as we value the life of a child. And oftentimes she has other children, and so we want her to be able to care well for them as well. So um, I would say anyone that's in this movement Yes, it's obviously for the unborn, but it is also for the woman mm-hmm. um, and and her life and, and what an abortion ultimately, how it would impact her long-term. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes women think it's a, a very short um, decision, if you will, but mm-hmm. it, it, it has ramifications that follows her for the rest of her life. Yeah, what are some resources that... Um pregnancy clinics, crisis clinics offer to women? I mean, you talked about mm-hmm. social work, but what does that look like? like- yeah, so housing. Mm-hmm. Um, if she, a lot of our clients don't have permanent housing. And so we will work to get her into a place, whether that's an apartment, whether that um, maybe it's uh, a maternity home, um, maybe it's some form of halfway house, if you will, that mm-hmm. it's gonna, you know, she completes this program um, she would get the option to apply or rent this particular apartment, or maybe it is a house. Mm-hmm. Um, so housing, uh, employment. Um, we work on resumes. We will help um, get a client interviews, whether that's through job fairs, or maybe it's even just mock interviews so that they feel prepared um, to be able to, to interview well. Um, transportation can be helping her whether it's temporarily looking at public transportation, but then moving towards being able to, to buy a car. Mm-hmm. Um, so really anything that she says is an obstacle for her, our social workers are gonna resource for her mm-hmm. and attempt to um, help move her towards more stability. Um, childcare is another one. It's really expensive, um, really difficult for our clients to obtain. And so, um, Sometimes it's going to churches that have childcare programs and saying, can you do a sliding scale? Can you mm-hmm. um, make it so that this person is, is able to put her child in childcare so that she can make it to work? Um, yeah. So those yeah, kinds. I like that there's a lot of collaborative, like thinking outside the box um, because there are very limited state resources mm-hmm. and I'm more familiar with Washington mm-hmm. um, state. So yeah, like you have... Um, child care stipends, and, yeah. But but then you but do. then that's it. You know, it's you not like mm-hmm. so. What if those daycares are full, right? Or so what? Like you know, I have you know somebody in my life who um, 
you know, single mom situation and she cannot get on, like they don't even have a wait list for section eight housing anymore because it is so long. Like you're going to, you're going to be dead. Some places it's five years. That's a long time. Like they just closed it. They just, so it's like impossible. So I like, and and then the state's answer, which I would think is where a lot of um, people would go to get, you know, some people would go to get help or at least like the leftist, you know, is like, well, that's, that, that's it. Where it sounds like your resource centers think outside the box beyond the state and actually turn to private, um, yeah. private venue. We have to, we have yeah. to. And we, and we utilize state resources as well. Of course, yeah. Um, but oftentimes- But it doesn't stop there. For sure. Yeah. And, and, and oftentimes it's not enough. And so, and we really want her connected to her community. And so it's really looking- yeah, like you said, outside of the box. How can we help her solution in such a way that she gets her heart's desire that she's able to parent mm-hmm. and parent well? We yeah. we don't we want a, a woman to thrive in that role, not right. just feel like she's surviving. Right. Yeah. Can, um, this is a this is a really hard edge to this topic, but abuse victims. Um. I mean, the number one thing that people bring up when you say that abortion should not be legal is, well, what about the case of rape or incest? And I usually counter with, this is actually one of the ways that abusers cover up what they're doing to the victim. And I'm sure you have seen that. Um, yeah. Do you want to touch on that at all or how how you've been able to help women in the, in that particular situation? Yeah, so we would, I mean, we would say that abortion at the end of the day takes the life of a child. And mm-hmm. so regardless of um, the circumstance, we're gonna advocate for that child, just like we, we would um, in those cases as well. And so there's resources out there. And, and if we, we have clients all the time that come to us and have been abused or are mm-hmm. in an abusive situation. And our goal um, is to get her to a safe place. And there are resources out there to help her do that. Um, and just as with other circumstances that are challenging and difficult, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't mean that it's not possible and that it's not, um, she that she can't be safe and parent at the same time. Right. Yeah. Um. And and safety is a that's a something that we screen for, if you will. It's a part of our intake process and right. our assessment. And yeah. if at any point we feel like she's not safe, we are going to connect her to resources. Um. Yeah. It's funny because it's regardless. Let's say she's not pregnant, we're still going to connect her to those resources right. because we value her life. Right as well and yeah. so that's awesome that's so yeah. that's so great that you guys do that and yeah i was thinking like they, they probably are not going to come right out or if if it is that situation they're going to go straight to the abortuary but i was watching i don't know if you've heard the documentary it's like 12th and something it's about like this dichotomy between there's like a pregnancy crisis center right mm-hmm. across the street from an abortion mill and it's going back and forth between the two and showing both sides. And um, and on the Pregnancy Crisis Center side, they're talking about how when women call, they're usually calling because they think they can acquire an abortion there. And so they don't say anything that they'll be like, they'll just immediately say like, 
do you guys offer abortion services? And they like have to kind of get her in the door in mm-hmm. some way. So is that is that a reality where you are? Like, so, um, when our when clients call in and they are seeking ser- asking about our services, um, really, a lot of times what we're we're trying to help them understand is that they need more information to make the best decision for their mm-hmm. life is usually the phrase that, that we say. Um, what we have found is that there is a knowledge gap. And I kind of mentioned this before. There's a knowledge gap in terms of fetal development. There's also a knowledge gap in terms of what an abortion actually is. Right. And there's other medical uh, conditions that need to be ruled out before she would even consider an abortion. And so... You know, if it's a life-threatening uh, situation, and one one situation would be like ectopic pregnancy, mm-hmm. that's that's not a situation where you would want to go through with a procedure, um, because that's that's not what needs to happen. Right. Um, and so she needs that information, and we have actually had clients tell us that, you know, at the abortion clinic they did discover she had an ectopic and just went ahead with the procedure, which is extremely dangerous. And so. Um, Part of our job, right? <laughs> yeah, part of our job is education. And so yeah. really it's getting her to slow down in her decision-making process. Hey, you have time to make a decision. What you often find is when someone is in crisis, if they can just sit in and kind of like let those emotions settle, we begin thinking more rationally. Right. And on top of that, providing education and resources to get her heart's desire, which most women, it, it, it is to parent. It's not to have an abortion. Right. Allows her to, to make a better choice. Mm-hmm. Um, and so really that's what, that's what we're talking to her about. We can't control what someone does, right? She has free will. Um, but what we can do is help educate her in a way and, and connect her with her baby and show her the reality of what's happening inside of her as well as educating her on what an abortion is um, and allowing her to have true choice. Um, Everyone talks about choice, but if she doesn't know what she's doing, she doesn't know fully where she is in pregnancy um, and that there are resources out there that can change her life. Is that really true choice? Is she she really getting to choose what what her heart's desire is? Yeah. Um, with all of you know those factors that that come into play, yeah, yeah, that's such a good point. When I was doing my rotation in nursing school, my senior year, I for my community health rotation, I was placed in a um, just a clinic, and it was in a junior high. So we're talking twelve, thirteen, fourteen year olds, and um, this clinic was just to offer you know. Tylenol, all this other kind of stuff. But they also um, did pregnancy tests and did a lot of, um, they had a big old bucket of uh, condoms out for kids to grab. And they also did like pregnancy crisis counseling. So I sat in on a lot of those. And there was no, there was no choice. There was like a, a girl would come in and she would pee on a stick and positive pregnancy test and so then the nurse practitioner there would say okay so let's go ahead and schedule you for an abortion 
Um, so, you know, tomorrow you can come to school and then I'll give you a taxi voucher um, for to the clinic and back. And like there was no conversation. There yeah. was no nothing. So that's what I ended up doing my senior project on was to create a brochure mm. to hand out to these students with full free choice. Now, obviously, you know, my personal would be don't do it. This is what abortion is. For sure. Um, but I can't put that in a public setting. So I had to do the next best thing, which is, you know, kind of falls the line of the incremental um, thing is, okay, let's just explore all of the resources that you actually do have and all the things that you actually have available and let's, you know, all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I created this brochure for my senior project, but it was just heartbreaking. It was heartbreaking that this could happen without a parent's knowledge. And yeah. the funny thing is, the ironic thing is, is like I had to have a parent's permissions, a signature in order to give their child Tylenol that did not have to notify nope. them or anything if I, if not me, if the nurse practitioner, because I'm just a job shadowing, right? Um, if the nurse practitioner sent a child to Planned Parenthood to yep. have an abortion. And we're talking yeah. 12, 13, A medical procedure. A medical procedure. I was just like, yeah. how is this legal? How is this? My children are never going to public school. <laughs> they're, doing, they're doing the same yeah. thing with the gender. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Confusion and yes. hormones. And hormone, hormone treatment and all and that kind of stuff. That is happening under your nose. Doctors. So people, yeah. there's some bigger issues here. I think there is that other side of the spectrum, and I've seen it at the abortion mill, of women who are offered everything and they know, like, yeah. we will adopt your baby. People, they're ready to adopt their baby. Offer anything. We'll get you housing. We'll do, like, you know, and, and I know people have sat with you and still followed through on it. And um, I think at the abortion mill, they're a little more... Um, vitriolic and you know I've killed three of my babies I'll kill three more I'll do it next Saturday or you mm -hmm. know like oh they, yeah so I I think there there is a spectrum and we have to be willing to see because I think um kind of like what we were talking with the incrementalism versus um abolition we can go so far to one side and say all women are victims and they've just been bamboozled. And if they really knew or really had what they sure. needed, they would never do it, right? Mm -hmm. And then we go to the other side mm -hmm. where people say all women are just intentionally murdering because they love it, you know? And mm -hmm. then they point fingers at the other side and say, you're crazy. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. um, I know there's, there's women all along the spectrum. But in the day and age we live, you see the conversation shift from is it a human life yeah. to is it a person? Because they can't nail you anymore on is it a human life. It's right. like the cup science, of cells too thing. Much it's just, yeah, there's too much science. There's too much oh, for sure. it. There's yeah. no way for them. So they have to say, okay, well, but I know it's human life, but is it, is it a person yet? Because that's entirely subjective. And mm -hmm. they can move the line as often as they need to in the conversation in order to keep themselves from admitting that what they're doing is wrong yeah um it has to be you know functioning independently from the mother it has mm -hmm. to be this old or this well that's where our culture is going or, right? right so we're our own 
gods, if you will. Right, absolutely. Um, we're not submitting to the authority of God with a capital G, if you yeah. will. God yeah. says all human life yep. because they're, we're made in God's image yep. from the moment of conception. But, I mean, yeah, I just wanted to add that, just mm-hmm. my experience at the mill. Yeah, I just wanted to talk about that side because I don't think any of us are denying that that woman's out there also. Sure. Oh, yes. Um, but I'm we pretty have sure to, I've taken care of her. Yeah. <laughs> it's so important for us yeah. to take each person as an individual and yep. not yeah. not broad brush, um, especially if we're trying to be impactful. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to be a pragmatist because we know the Holy Spirit is the only one who can convict a woman and bring her to faith. But um, we still have to be careful to treat each person as an individual mm-hmm. and to meet them where they are. Mm-hmm. Um, when you, so when you're meeting with women, would you say like calling them to repentance is a part of the process in some way um, as far as leading them to Christ? I think that in, like I get the practical side where you're like, I'm trying to offer resources and trying to give them information to convince them away from this because I don't know if they're going to shut the door if I go there right now and I have a way to help them. But when you're counseling, um, is that is that language that you would be comfortable using in that type of situation? So we're going to use language that she understands. And I will say that a lot of our clients um, don't come from a church background. Yeah. Like, it's it's funny if if you've worked in ministry, I think some for so long, sometimes you forget <laughs> Um, right. That there are still people that have no, very little background, right? Um, if yeah. you will, of of church and yeah. God and those types of things. And so it really depends on where she's at. I mean, I've sat across from a pastor's daughter mm-hmm. and counseled. So my conversation with her is going to probably sound very different than someone who who says, "No, I don't believe in God." Um, so it just kind of depends. It may not happen in that initial counseling session, but um, it very well may happen on the third counseling session, depending mm-hmm. on where she she is at. Um, and there's key questions that we ask to try to pull that out. Um, you know, and some of it, sometimes it's as simple as to start the conversation. Um, does your faith play a role in this decision? Um, really trying to get at right. the heart of that. And mm-hmm. a lot of times what women will say is, I didn't agree with it until I was sitting in this situation. Mm-hmm. And so then it's an opportunity for us to go, okay, let's talk about that. Help right. me understand uh, what's changed and why would you have said previously that it was wrong or not something that you would be okay with doing. Um, but that's not everyone. That's, that's some people. For sure. Mm. All right. And then our, my last point here um, before we wrap up is what are some ways that Christians can help um, someone who is in a pregnancy crisis? Um, so I definitely think that um, pregnancy crisis centers have their role, mm-hmm. but I also think the church has a role and I think Christians have a role. So how do, you, how do they overlap? Yeah. Well, and I think it's important to remember the stat that I mentioned earlier of how prevalent it is within the church. Um, 
you know, she is most likely, she being someone who's facing an unplanned pregnancy is most likely going to share with someone that she's close to, that Mm -hmm. she doesn't feel like is going to judge her Mm -hmm. um, and not react strongly, if you will, um, when, when being told, hey, you know, I just found out I'm pregnant. I don't know what I'm gonna do. Or maybe she says something more direct, like, I think I need to get an abortion. Um, so I really think it it starts before she ever gets into that situation in terms of what type of, and this sounds cheesy, but what type of friend are you to someone mm-hmm. that they would feel comfortable coming to you and sharing? Mm-hmm. What What's interesting is when we are, are counseling, we'll often ask who's involved in the situation or who have you told? And, and then we'll ask the question, who have you not told? Mm-hmm. And usually the people that they have not told are the ones that would encourage them to parent. Um, and so we get the opportunity to dig into that a little bit and really encourage them to share with that individual. And so I think it's really important mm-hmm. that, that we as believers are the type of people that, um, that may allow people to feel comfortable to share what's going on in their life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. Um, what does that require? As far as like, because you, you said that they won't share with people who would encourage them to mm-hmm. parent. So, well, and, and I would even go back to, I think sometimes abortion is looked as, at as the unforgivable sin. And so I think um, not denying that it is not a sin because it is, but also realizing that it's not beyond a believer to think about or to consider or to contemplate. And I think, um, you know, a lot of the women that, that we talk to would say, I feel judged. Um, and so there's a, there's a balance there. How do you engage in conversation with someone in such a way that, that, they're open enough mm-hmm. for you to be able to speak truth into their life. Right. Um, yeah. Cause I know, like, I know for sure if any of my friends right now were like, Hey, I want, I'm pregnant and I want to have an abortion. Like, <laughs> um, I think they know what I would say. And I think it's yep. that knowing what I would say that they don't, I mean, we all have, mm-hmm. I mean, we ourselves have done it. Like I've been in sin and I haven't let certain friends know oh, absolutely. about sin. Mm-hmm. And it isn't because they're judgy or harsh or anything, but I know that they're going to call me back to truth and that's not really what right. I want to hear. So it is like you were saying, a, a balance of, yeah, what kind of friend are you? Um, I think the, the situations that come to mind the most are really mm-hmm. when we're sitting across from a daughter and what she says is, I could never tell my parent because they're going to do... X, Y, and Z. Like they're going to kick me out of the house. Oh, they're, right. You know, all that. of these things. Right. Is that just yeah. what she thinks is going to happen? Or is that the conversation that you try to get So I think started? it's both. Okay. I mean, I, I do. I think there are, there are parents that do not create the environment, mm-hmm. right, for their kid to be able to come to them and say, hey, I messed up. Or, hey, I'm in this situation. Right. Um, and then there are those that it is perceived and it's not reality. Um. So I think it's those types of, of situations where like I've thought, obviously I'm not a parent, um, but 
in sitting across from that and that that girl, I've thought to myself, man, I want to be the type of parent that that my kids can come to me when they mess up and us mm-hmm. have a real conversation, right. um, and not not find out years later or months mm-hmm. later that she hid something from me because she was afraid of what would happen. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, you know, it's 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 interesting. We've seen married couples. We've seen women that are married come in and they don't want to tell their husband. Um, and so you you get to do relationship counseling, um, and you know, ask the question: Is that the type of relationship that you want to have with your husband? That it's not based on truth, but it's based on a lie. Right. Yeah. Um, so I think the relationship dynamics are are different depending on what those relationships are, but. Um, yeah, I think being available, being open mm-hmm. to to where people feel comfortable sharing what's really hard and what's really difficult. Yeah. Yeah. One thing I I hope I'm not I'm going to push back a little bit um is when you're talking about that we need to realize that any Christian or any believer could be in the position where they would be um considering abortion. Um, I I wouldn't say that someone, or like also what you were saying about the unforgivable sin, I wouldn't say that somebody who claims the faith and then has an abortion has necessarily lost their salvation, but I would not doubt in a in like a scowly down from my tower type way, but doubt in a way that I would be really concerned um, that they were in step with the Lord because um, belonging to the Lord requires submission to him. Mm-hmm. And I think that when we put it in terms of, um, you know, you're killing your child. So I think framing it that way, to say, I think that any believer could um, find themselves in a situation where they would be willing to kill their child or kill an old lady on the street, or you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. That that kind of yeah for raises sure a, raises a not that not a flag for you, but just a flag for the. I wanted to give you a chance to clarify because I'm sure you and I agree on that. Um, yeah, and I think what. What I was referring to is the temptation. So there's there's a difference between going through an act and the thought of well, it would should be I easier. get one? Right. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. it's very different than than going through with a procedure. I'm talking about that. It's it's not outside. Like just because someone is yeah. a believer doesn't mean that. In that moment of weakness, they're right. going to be tempted, perhaps, right. that or that makes, might yes. be appealing right. option, yeah. even though previously they would, yep. like staunchly be like, "No way!" Yep. But they're like, "Well, I went kind of cuckoo, yeah, one night, and then yep. ended up in a pregnancy, and now I got to tell my husband, and I see that kind of being a temptation." Yeah. Or, yeah. I mean, I would even say, I mean. So couples that, that are strong, that are believers, mm-hmm. and they get uh, an adverse diagnosis, they, I mean, I've had them say, we thought about it. Mm-hmm. Like, 
Right. It wasn't that they, and they, and in that situation, there wasn't a moment of, I would say there was a moment of shame, but they're willingly saying, we contemplated it. Right. Obviously we came to the decision that that didn't align with our belief system, but it, but the fact that it would never have entered their mind, um, I think people tend to think that, that that's not the case. And that, right. That makes, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, thank you for clarifying. And I was kind of wondering if you were think if you were meaning more like there, but by the grace of God, go I, right? Yep. Because, yep. and you're right. We can't go to the abortuary to call out to these women and say, I would never be that woman because it's in each one of us right. to be that woman. And it's only by the grace of God that we're yep. not, or, you know, the, um, the escorts or, you know, all, yep. or the women that are shrieking because, man, they're, they get crazy. <laughs> but, yes, so absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for um, well, thank you for going asking into that more question. detail. Yeah, Because I know that's something to hear and to take in the wrong direction. And I had a feeling that wasn't. Um, and we want to make sure to be clear. So thank you. Yeah. And very important. And when, when we are, like, coming having these conversations with Christians that are approaching this issue from a different perspective, we need to have grace. We just need to have grace. Mm-hmm. There, but sure. by the grace of God, go we. None of us are getting it all the way right. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, I, I would like to have more opportunity to minister to post-abortive women. Mm-hmm. It's, it is very much, it's a hard thing to find yourself doing <laughs> unless you're pursuing it because like you said, there's so much shame surrounding it. Um, yeah. There's also a lot of pride, unfortunately, where people are like, shout your abortion and stuff like that. But those people, those are 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 the people that need to be called to (laughs) repentance before they can be counseled because they are so far gone, so far hardened. Yeah. 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 Um, What are some practical ways that just everyday people could help? Yeah. Yeah. well, I mean, I think there's there's definitely local pregnancy centers that mm-hmm. people can get involved in. Yeah. Um, and what does like a volunteer kind of thing look like? Yeah, every organization's a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Some will um, take people and train them to counsel. Mm-hmm. Um, others have different different roles, whether that's someone at the front desk, uh, receptionist, those types of things. Um, we have mentors. Um, that we utilize as volunteers. And really the goal is for that mentor to connect that client back into their faith community. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, inviting them to do everyday life together um, that connects them to a body of believers. Um, We've had some of our most faithful volunteers are, are, I think of one woman, um, she had three children and one of the ways that she chose to to give was when all of her kids got out of diapers she continued to buy diapers and donate them to the local pregnancy center oh that's nice um, because she yeah. said it's already in our budget where you know yeah. like we're going to keep doing it and it was just it's a blessing um you know one of the things that that we do when a woman walks through our doors if she has another child that is in diapers we will just give her um diapers whites wipes, whatever she needs. And part of it is because we want her to know that we're serious about walking alongside of her for the length and beyond of her pregnancy. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and that there's a, there's people all, all over the country that are willing to come alongside of women mm-hmm. and support them during this time. So I would say definitely reaching out to local pregnancy centers. Uh, I think being educated on the issue, um, how we talk about it is important in the public space. Um, there's, I would even say, in, you know, the March for Life in January, it's an event in D.C. Um, I think that's an important one as well. There's a number of pro-life organizations that people can get involved with. Involved with doesn't just have to be local pregnancy centers. Um, there's a number of organizations that are in this space that take volunteers and mm-hmm. um, allow you to to do good work in the movement. Um, there's churches that provide post-abortion care. So there's other organizations that do that as well and take volunteers and train them and mm-hmm. allow them to um, facilitate groups that way. Um, so I think there's a, there's a host of opportunities, whether that's giving, whether that's being able to volunteer hours um, or being a part of um, a nationwide event that mm-hmm. um, lives out your conviction. Yeah. As far as like seeing people um, encountering pro-abortion advocates and then responding, um, Apologia Church and End Abortion Now and Free the States all have really good resources as far as if you want, that, that's helpful for me. It was really helpful for me to know how to respond to people's arguments by seeing it play out. Mm-hmm. And especially seeing if you're afraid of having someone come back to you in anger, seeing that happen and seeing the other person handle it calmly and graciously can give you that confidence mm-hmm. that you can speak up because it's hard, it's hardest when it's somebody, you know, For, yeah, like absolutely. There, was, there was somebody that I knew that I was a new Christian and I knew she was going to have an abortion. I said nothing. I just was like, trying to talk her through like her feelings and Mm -hmm. are you sure and all of that said nothing and she went through with it and then I later in my walk I had to go back to her and repent and say like I should have spoken up I should have you know I was so afraid I was going to lose you as a friend that I didn't do what I should have done and that is on me and I'm so sorry you know it's hard Mm -hmm. when it's somebody you know so getting comfortable with what it might feel like mm-hmm. <laughs> for them to be yeah. a little upset and how to respond calmly. Like you said, like it's so important how we talk about it. Like you can say all these things like sin, repentance, murder, without it being a Westboro Baptist, like murder, like, right, you know? Right. You no. can say it in a way that is is gracious and gentle, mm-hmm. but still very truthful, absolutely. truthful and blunt. Mm-hmm. and Grace and truth. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's all good. I um, also just for a practical thing is um, I know when we were looking at, and not everybody is in the position or even called to do this, but we've hosted a couple of single parents in our own home um, over the years. And um, just if you have the means or the resources Mm -hmm. to kind of be thinking about how you can use your home to serve the Lord in these kinds of areas, because um, most of these uh, women or people need um, temporary housing until they yep. get on their feet and um, help them out with that. 
And like I said, our, you know, Washington state, there isn't even a wait list anymore. It's closed. It is, you can't even sign yeah. up to be on Section 8 housing anymore. And so, um, you know, I housed somebody for almost two years. It was a year and a half, uh, a single mom, and just helped her get on her feet. Um, single dad um, helped him get in the right direction there and, um, you know, navigate some stuff. So those are just, you know, just practical ways of, you know, thinking beyond if you're able to in, in a place to thinking beyond uh your family and looking at how your house can be a ministry outside or in addition to your own family too. So, um, yeah. Yeah. And I would even, I mean, we used to have a volunteer opportunity in one of our <laughs> locations where we would ask for men to come and take a single mom's car to the, uh, shop and help get it fixed. Not yeah. necessarily even paying for it, but just being the one to like, yeah, broker that conversation with a mechanic so that she doesn't sure. feel like she's getting. Dude, I can barely get my oil right. changed without. <laughs> I'm. I'm yeah. So it's like simple Let's things talk like to my that. Husband. I don't know what the words are coming out of your mouth. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I'm. Yes, I'm grateful talk. for Ryan. Ryan's like, give him the phone. Yeah, I'm like, talk to him. I know I do. Like, I just got my oil changed in yeah. Goodyear, and I'm like. If you want anything else done besides the basic oil change, here's my husband's phone number and you call him, okay? So for someone to <laughs> offer that to a single yeah, mom would so be great. huge. Yeah, just like yeah. very little practical things like that, that we can just ex extend community and mm -hmm. love and, and grace to um, and really help support moms. Yeah. And we need to celebrate the baby. I can't tell you yeah, how many absolutely. times I've seen online where people are like, so there's this single mom in our church and she, you know, or yeah. like this, this girl and she's pregnant and how do I handle this? Yeah. Because she's in sin. And so do I just not say anything? And, and like, luckily a lot of people are like, that's Throw a blessing. Baby that baby's shower. a blessing. Yeah. <laughs> Throw her a baby yep. shower. You're not celebrating the sin. You're celebrating that life. And we have sure. to get to the point where we're willing to do that and be like, I can put, I can give her a roof over her head and mm -hmm. I can help her. And I'm not condoning Right. Exactly. The, the sexual sin. I'm sure. helping with the baby. Like right. she needs, you know, it's yes. Um, yeah. And the documentary is called 12th in Delaware. It was on Amazon mm. Prime. Okay. Yeah. Sounds really interesting. It was really interesting. Yeah. It's, it seems more sympathetic towards the um, crisis pregnancy center mm -hmm. than the abortion, but it's just... And you, but you see the conversations they have with people. They right. actually sit in on those counseling mm -hmm. sessions. You see the the conversation of the abortion mm -hmm. worker, and then it's crazy. Yeah, no, I yeah. know somebody who she works at a local pregnancy crisis center, CareNet, um, down here or up here, whatever, from you, from somewhere. Texas, somewhere. <laughs> um, and so they get a, quite a number of people who come from like a Planned Parenthood. Mm -hmm and just are in tears over yeah. what was discussed and how they were treated, especially if what they're thinking didn't align with mm -hmm. abortion. And they would come to the pregnancy crisis centers. And there could be some like, yeah. oh, the pregnancy crisis center just wanted to right. keep my baby and they were making me feel guilty or whatever. That was more of what I saw um, where like the abortion worker was very slick and very like oh, yeah. motherly and like, 
oh honey no they're gonna tell you that that's yep. crazy there's not a lot of blood mm-hmm. it's no big deal in the comfort of your own home mm-hmm. is a is a key phrase that they use and I just want so to look at someone and say well, why would you choose to have a medical procedure in the, in the comfort, comfort of, of your own, own home, home. Yeah. yeah like yeah it's those types of things yeah. that that mm-hmm. really it's just frustrating one of I think for me, one of my, and this is going to sound odd, but greatest joys is knowing, like when she comes, we've had clients that have gone to the abortion clinic and she comes back to us and what she says is, you guys were the ones that told me the truth. They didn't. 100%. Yeah. And, and what it shows is that, and I have said to our staff, you do realize she or if she has complications, she often will call us. And I said, you do realize that she's not calling the last person that she saw. Right. She had to search for our number. Right. And she called the person that she trusted. Right. Because we told her the truth and we did it in a way that was um, caring and loving, but yet the truth was there. And so for me as, you know, someone has the, the choice to make whatever decision they, they choose to, but it's how well did we care for her that mm-hmm. that matters. And oftentimes that situation occurs where yeah. she calls us back and not the abortion clinic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's crazy how it's painted opposite yep. because at the at the abortion mill on abortion day, they literally have the escorts with their umbrellas and as soon as the women open the doors, they're covering the woman and whispering her in her ear and you hear them. It's just like, it's mm-hmm. like, it's like demonic. You it know? is. I'm not. I'm not like a charismatic person, but it's like the voice of a, of the devil, yeah. like in her, chattering in her ear all the way to the door, mm-hmm. so she doesn't hear the people calling out to her. And the way that those people are painted in the media and the culture is that they're shrill and shrieking, and like mm-hmm. it's not that way. It's calm. Like, please don't do this. We'll all, we got help for you. Like mm-hmm. you know, like and then the people who are there, the pro aborts who are there to stop. The Christians are the ones who are shrieking, yelling, sexually harassing the men, especially saying all kinds of awful things to them, like blasting music, being vulgar and lewd and crazy. And I'm like, I feel like they're really sheltering the woman from seeing those people (laughs) because I'm like, those are the people who are taking care of you. Yeah. Is those people. You know, we keep like, sorry, I yeah. can talk about this forever. I know. And I'm so glad you came to talk to us. Oh, thanks for asking. It's really great to have your perspective. And I wish, I hope at some point I can do more. It's awesome, yeah, it's good. Yeah. All right. On that note, ladies, go love God, go love your husbands, and go love your kids.